Bienvenidos a Radio Menea, y'all. My name is Vero Ayati Flores. And I'm Miriam Soyla Perez, and we are two Latinx friends with wildly different music tastes. Each week we bring you music from Latinx artists that we love, and this week we're bringing you part one of a two-part episode on La Musica de Nueva York. Yes, this is a fun, we're trying something new this time, and it's a, there's a lot of research that went into this episode, but we're starting kind of chronologically, and the, the song that we were just listening to is Boogaloo by Charlie Palmieri, and let's take another listen to it. You know, I mean, where could we start? I'm sure we could have gone further back. Like, we could have started with the 50s and talked about mambo and, like, cha-cha-cha. And, like, there's all these other types of music that, that came before. But we had to start somewhere. So we just started to start in the 60s with Boogaloo, which, um, you know, the point of this exploration is really to talk about the ways in which New York specifically as, like, a city um, fueled certain types of musical inventions, collaborations, evolutions because of the specific mix of people that were in that city and were living next to each other and like going to clubs together and hearing each other's music on the block and like the ways in which that fueled the transformation and creation of new um, types of music. Yeah, it's really about a history of diasporas and migrations and New York as a place where all of those things converge and how that's shaped the history of sound. And Boogaloo is like a really cool example of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really is. Um, and so, you know, I, we kind of broke up the episode into diff- we each took different eras to sort of research and deep dive into. And so I, um, I did the research about Boogaloo. And so, yeah, Boogaloo is a really interesting example of this kind of um, mixing of people and diasporas in New York and how that creates new music because Boogaloo is a, is a type of music that um, really it's a, more of a concept than a um, genre like that's defined by particular musical qualities. And we'll see this again with salsa. Um, but it combined, you know, Latin rhythms with R&B, with soul, with mambo, and with son montuno, like all those things coming together in Spanish Harlem predominantly. So the mix of U.S.-based black folks and um, Caribbeans from Puerto Rico and Cuba and like the ways in which those sounds came together into this thing that became known as Boogaloo. Yeah, the first time I had ever heard of what Boogaloo was was this amazing um, Latino episode that uh, that I heard my friend Jasmine um, do with Felix over there but obviously I had heard Boogaloo because it's 
actually like a little bit all over the place no Mm -hmm. it's like actually like a made a big splash in the culture Mm-hmm. yeah it was this kind of thing where it was like got really popular and like everybody was making a Boo song in the 60s and then it kind of like died down really quickly at the end of the the decade and there's like a little bit of controversy about why that was the case some people mm-hmm. say it's just like a fad that burned out and other people say that like the sort of older latin musicians in new york didn't like Boo because it was made by like the teenagers in this in the neighborhoods and so they like made a concerted effort to like stop Boogaloo from getting more popular by like not allowing them in the clubs like not booking those bands and by like record labels like kind of boycotting them and there's even yeah the wikipedia the thing i read about it said that even fania might have been involved in that kind of like um sabotage of the Boogaloo industry they really iced them out yeah so you know i don't know if that's true i don't have any like primary source research on that but i thought it was interesting as a possibility and like you know that's such a theme right of like so often these new music traditions like are these new music innovations come from teenagers you know from like young people who are you know maybe more they're innovating more they're experimenting more maybe they're like mixing more with like their friends of different you know from different places and so i just that's such a theme you know Um, yeah i think that also young people are just like less tethered to a certain reality because they haven't lived in the world for that long so they're just like yeah we can do whatever the fuck we want we're just out here exploring making cool new shit and like people who are older are like that's not really reggaeton like that's not really this thing you know what i mean and it's like we're we have all these different conceptual hang-ups about the music Mm -hmm. that we listen to because of what it means to us you know yeah one thing I discovered that I, maybe you knew this already, Vero, but there's actually like a far right, alt right movement called Boogaloo yeah, in the, the US. Yeah, the Boogaloo Boys. I did know that. Yeah, I did not know yeah. that. And I was like very unhappy to be on the Wikipedia page for a minute. <laughs> it's very <laughs> I found myself yeah. in the right place. Yeah. I uh, unfortunately do know enough about the American right wing <laughs> that yeah. I knew about them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting, you know, that this music did get so popular that it even made it on the, on like the American bandstand, which is like a very mainstream, um, you know, American pop culture thing. And so, yeah, it really like took kind of took over in, in the sixties and became really prominent. Yeah. Probably the most famous Boogaloo song is one that we're going to dissect a little bit in our member segment. So this is just a little plug. If you all are interested in joining our membership program, um, you know, it's on a sliding scale, starts about $5 a month. Um, and we do a segment pretty much every episode discussing a new song, uh, something that has to do with episode. And we're going to talk a little bit more about I Like It, which is probably the biggest Boogaloo song of all time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, I, I knew that song, but I didn't know anything about Boogaloo. I didn't know the like anything really about the this particular genre until doing this researching this episodes but yeah, it's like you've all before, everyone's heard boogaloo right before i knew what boogaloo was i've i'd heard i like it i just didn't know that i'd heard boogaloo you mm-hmm. know what i mean yeah yeah um and then you know this 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 is another really cool thing about the way that diasporas work and particularly like when you look at like u.s latinx diasporas is that that things that kind of come as innovations in the united states in places like new york end up influencing the music that's coming out of like the country of origin. And so like Puerto Ricans in on the island started making Boogaloo music. Like it got, you know, it, it became, it started being made in Latin America, like El Gran Combo released a bunch of Boogaloo songs, you know? So it's like, there's this like 
relationship. Like it's not a one dimensional thing. It's not a one directional thing. Like there, you know, the island is influencing like New Yorkans and New Yorkans are influencing the island. You know, it's like it's mm-hmm. I think it's um, and which makes sense because people flow in both directions. Right. Like people it's not especially with Puerto Rico, like people can go back and forth very easily. So there's a lot of contact that happens in that particular sort of like quote unquote diaspora. Um, but yeah, so it became like a really big kind of moment in music. And then there was actually like a revival in the 2000s of Boogaloo and people kind of got interested in it again. Um, but, you know, most of what happened in this in this moment happened in the 60s and really like you can link it back to Spanish Harlem and particularly like who, you know, the communities that were, um, were living there in close proximity. Yeah, and the time too because like, you know, in the United States those sounds right those especially like cuban big band sounds mm-hmm. were so were so big in the you know like the first you know one of the first like quote unquote latin music booms that um that happened in pop culture you know like you can think about i right. love lucy and shit you know like right. that moment yeah, like the right 50s like and 60s yeah those sounds are really popular and then those immigrants were here in new york and they were living in spanish harlem right next to harlem which is like you know a site of so much important mm-hmm. black american culture it's i i just i love the concept of this episode maybe because mm-hmm. i love new york <laughs> but i yeah. love the concept of this episode even with other cities you know like just like the ways that diasporas and movements and people being close to each other just shape sounds and cultures it's so yeah. cool yeah in the in the all latino episode which we'll link in the show notes if you want to check it out um, I think Felix asks, they brought this like DJ on to the show who knew a lot about, bu- who was like really interested in Boogaloo. Um, and I think he asks him a question about like, is Boogaloo, like was that moment like less segregated than other moments? Like, is that why there was more collaboration? Cause I think Felix was saying like, there isn't so much collaboration now between like, which I don't know if that's really true, but, um, between like, you know, us black folks making music and like Latinx people making music, um, you know, was there less segregation then? And the DJ is like, no, it's just New York City. Like, it's just the reality of New York City that people are just mixing with each other and they're in proximity and they're not, you know, and they're collaborating. It's not necessarily um, less, you know, quote unquote segregated that people are like collaborating more. It's just the reality of the place. So it's like, that's what I think is so interesting about this. It's like New York as a place, you know, if New York wasn't this densely populated place where, you know, immigrants are of all of, from all places were kind of brought together, you know, forcibly in some ways by just like the realities of the economics and the political moment and like housing stuff and whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, would these things have happened in the same way, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's really interesting, too. So what's next? What's the next genre that we're going to explore here that yeah. New York City has shaped? <laughs> so the other one is, is similar to Bualu in that it's a concept and not, it's kind of like a, in, 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 with this one, it's more of a marketing term. Like it was really, I think, like a business commercial interest that shaped the naming of this genre, which is salsa. And we've talked about this before on the show mm-hmm. and we have a whole Fania episode which people can go and um, do a deep dive into Fania. But it it was interesting to me that it had that same kind of feel of like, we're creating a label for a sort of some music that doesn't necessarily um, need a label, a new label, for example, or that doesn't, you know, necessarily indicate like, oh, every every song has this beat or this instrumentation. Um, but it really had some kind of um, commercial drive behind it. Mostly the guys at Fania really driving this as a as a, mm-hmm. a marketing term, which I thought was really interesting. But so Boogaloo and Salsa definitely overlapped um, in the late 60s, but Salsa took over by, you know, the early 70s and was really like the predominant um, thing coming out of um, 
out of this community in New York. And um, I want us to listen to, I mean, it's so hard to pick a salsa song, but right. <laughs> um, I picked one that's a live song because I think it's interesting to like hear the like energy of that moment. Like think about what it was like to be in New York City in the 1970s and to like be, um, you know, in El Barrio and like listening to this music in the clubs. Like, I just think that's really interesting. So this is a Fania Alster song. It also has Cheo Feliciano on it and it's called Ana Coana. Let's take a listen. Anacaona y dice Anacaona y te amenaza cautiva Anacaona era de Dios primitiva Anacaona India, India de raza cautiva y Anacaona de la región primitiva. Anacaona oí tu voz, como lloró, cuánto gimió. Anacaona oí la voz, en tu angustiado corazón. Tu libertad nunca llegó. De 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 nada. Anda, Anacaona India de raza cautiva. Anacaona, Anacaona. Anacaona, India, India de raza cautiva. Anacaona, de la región primitiva. Anda. So yeah, there was. Uh, I found some interesting quotes about this question of sort of the term of salsa. Um, Willie Colon talked about how it wasn't really a precise music style, but it was something that that almost was trying to unite, like a pan Latin term in some ways. Um, mm -hmm. He he said mm -hmm. salsa was the force that united diverse Latino and other non-Latino racial and ethnic groups. Salsa is the harmonic sum of all Latin culture, which you know, I have a lot of questions about that statement. Yeah, because, you know. <laughs> Sal, you know, what is the harmonic sum of any culture? And also salsa is very Caribbean. You know, I mean, other other countries also participate in it, but like it excludes a lot of like Latin America in many ways. Um, yeah, yeah. And it, it, it is a little bit of like a kumbaya version of Latinidad that isn't totally real. Yeah. But yeah, the, the, the sort of, yeah, kumbayaness of that is, is strange. But it is interesting to think about in the context of Fania, who, you know, is sort of, um, credited with with trying to push this term as a as a genre, um, who was you know Fania was started by a Dominican guy and an Italian guy, <laughs> and it's mm -hmm. music that is Cuban very much so like the origins of it are Cuban and then Puerto yeah. Ricans were very involved also in making salsa music and so um, you know that their own interest in potentially like promoting this sort of like you know and that's there's some some things about this that say that it was actually about obscuring the connection to Cuba by calling it salsa rather than Cuban music like Tito Puente was like at, at first was really anti calling it salsa and was like I just mm. play Cuban music like this isn't salsa it's Cuban music you know and in many ways like the roots of it are so Cuban like it's very yeah, influenced like son by Cuba. yeah like, son montuno yeah. all of it yeah um so I don't know what the like the interest in obscuring the Cuban connection was if it was about palatability for a u.s market if it, you know what what the deal was i mean maybe also then you know in the 70s there's like this maybe the anti-cuba sentiment around cash i don't know i'm not sure what the logic is there but um but yeah this musicologist mayra martinez wrote that the term salsa obscured the cuban base 
and the music's history or part of its history in Cuba. Um, and they, they said that that was, she says that that was about kind of having like a hegemony, a hegemony of the record companies like Fania, um, on the music. Um, so, I mean, it's interesting. Yeah. I think there's a lot to say about the commercial aspects of it. Um, but you know, even though Tito Puente at first was like, I don't play salsa, I play Cuban music. Eventually everybody accepted the term because it became so mainstream and it was important for their own success as artists. So yeah, take a listen to our, I'll put, we'll put a link to the funny episode in our, in our show notes. If you want to take a deep dive into that. Um, and then, you know, obviously like salsa has continued, you know, it began in the seventies and then it's kind of had these like ebbs and flows in the nineties. There was this like really huge sort of, um, renaissance in some ways for salsa and like a pop type of pop salsa so when you think of like mark anthony and like some of the people that we brought before jedi he's also a new yorker mark Mm -hmm. anthony is that's interesting yeah mark anthony is a new yorker yeah totally um so so yeah that there's you know salsa continues to be made and has continued to really influence and shape music in the u.s but um but yeah i don't think everybody understands that salsa people might think about puerto rico or cuba but like really salsa is in new york city invention You know, yeah, um, it's a it's a U.S. Latino situation that has its roots in Cuba, but yeah, mm-hmm. it's very New York, and even you can tell in like the visual aesthetics of of Fania's records. You look at um, it, and like I think that like the cover to this um, track that we that we played mm-hmm. when I was looking at it says our Latin thing. It's like, and it's a reference to like Cosa Nostra, like the, the like the Italian mm-hmm. mafia groups, you know, which mm-hmm. were like. Which were very much a New York, like an old New York thing, right? And it's so, it's just very, um, everything about it is extremely New York City. Yeah, yeah. The other thing I was thinking about, and this is just my own like putting two and together, and I wonder what you think, Veto, was about the connection between this and like white flight in the 70s. Um, right. So like we know that in the U.S. there was like a pretty mass sort of exodus. A lot of white people left mm-hmm. urban centers um, mm-hmm. because of racism, because of like, you know, developers trying to promote the suburbs as like the place to raise your children. Like there's lots and lots of stuff there. And so I wonder if that, you know, helped to foster these kinds of diasporic moments because it made more space for immigrants to be in New York City. It created more like affordability for uh, for immigrants in New York City because it was less desirable because the whites were moving to like. New Jersey or wherever they were moving outside of um, outside of New York City. So I don't know what you think about that. I mean, yeah, definitely. The fact that New York was a place that was really affordable to live really fostered a lot of this culture. And I think that the fact that New York is not an affordable place to live anymore, it really inhibits <laughs> culture yeah. in this city, you know? Yeah. Um, I, New York is no longer a place where new immigrants come like the same way that they did before right a lot of new immigrants go to suburbs there's a Mm -hmm. lot of new immigrants on long island there's a lot of new immigrants i mean there are immigrants in new york obviously there's many 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 and the conditions are um you know are more difficult because it's so unaffordable and people are like piled into like really small apartments and stuff but so i'm not suggesting that there aren't a lot of immigrants here there are but um but yeah, the context definitely has changed because it's, you know, like white people are back in cities. They've decided that they want to be back. And um, yeah. Yeah, there's like a reversal, you know, which I think started, what, probably in like the early 2000s, like that sort of gentrification, regentrification, you know, of urban centers and, 
and yeah, now that the the suburbs are getting a lot browner and and blacker, and the urban centers are getting whiter in certain places, yeah. So it's really interesting to think about like the connection between these different socio political occurrences and how they influence music. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely like what so much of this story is is you know political socio political situations that led to diasporas that led to people coming to New York that led to this you know shaping of culture it's fascinating yeah totally all right well you researched the third genre that we're going to talk about in this part one yeah and we have three other genres that were born and bred New Yorker genres but this one is I mean it feels impossible to talk about it comprehensively um because it is so New York but we're going to talk about hip-hop I'm going to bring you a song that is very nostalgic for me. This is Terror Squad, Fat Joe and Remy Ma, Lean Back. Stay close. Yeah! My niggas! <laughs> Throw your hands in the air right now, man. Feel this shit right here. Scott Storch, nigga. I see you, nigga. Showbiz born law. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't give a fuck about your faults or mishaps, nigga. We from the Bronx, New York. Shit happens. Kids clapping. Love to spark the place. Half the niggas in the squad got a scar on their face. It's a cold world and this is ice. Half a meal for the charm, nigga. This is life. Got the phantom in front of the building, Trinity. Yeah. Ten years, legit, they still figure me bad. As a young, was too much to cope with. Why you think motherfuckers nicknamed the cook cook shit? Should've been called on robbery, stall shit, or maybe grand larceny. I did it all to put the pieces to the puzzle. Till long, I knew me and my people was gonna bubble. Came out the gate on some Flojo shit. Bad nigga with the shotty with the logo kid. Said my niggas don't dance, we just pull up our pants and do the rock away. Now lean back, lean back, lean back. Lean back, come on. I said my niggas don't dance, we just pull up our pants and do the rock away. Now lean back, lean back, lean back, lean back. So first of all, BX stand up, uptown stand up. I feel like because of the Latinx culture that is so present in the Bronx and in uptown, these this is geographically where a lot of this is. Obviously, there's. Mm-hmm a lot of Latinx people in Brooklyn, but, you know, so far we've stayed pretty far uptown. Um, I, like I said, it's impossible to talk really comprehensively about a genre like hip-hop that has, like, completely rewritten the way that we expect popular song to sound nowadays, and it's, like, Mm -hmm. you know, on a global basis. Um, but as you probably most most of you probably know, I think um, maybe is that hip hop is the child of New York City, specifically the child of the Bronx, right? And um, in the 1970s and the 1980s, the Bronx was very black and it was very Puerto Rican. Um, and obviously, there are a lot of black Puerto Ricans too, and you know, black folks were you know, black American folks, but also lots of Afro-Caribbean immigrants as well. So um, because of this mix and because that's where hip hop came 
up. You know, early hip hop subculture saw Latinos heavily involved in like all these different elements of what that culture became, including like graffiti writing and break dancing and DJing and also obviously like MCs. Um, now I'm talking about like the 70s, the 80s. The song that I brought was, you know, more from when hip hop like exploded into like the pop mainstream, into like mainstream popular culture. Um, but, you know, in those early days, there were like DJs like DJ Charlie Chase, who was part of creating this like, you know, this new style of DJing that hip hop sort of begat is something that I think we don't think about now because it's so influenced the way that everything about like popular songs are that like we just like don't even think about it anymore but this was like a new style of DJing that was not about playing full songs but like finding like cool little breaks and like repeating them and like basically like inventing like the sample right and like Mm. I just like you know like this is so normal to how um you know like how music is made today how music is produced how like it's just like a common aesthetic language that's part of a lot of popular song but and we don't question it because we know it and it's obvious to us right now but back then it was like new and weird and revolutionary and like these kids like doing this like crazy thing with like two turntables right 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 i was wondering about the technology like was there something that happened technologically that made that possible or was it just like turntables were around before this era i'm assuming yeah turntables were around before this era but it was people having two different turntables there is one like a little like historical um tidbit that i've heard that was about um this really um intense blackout that happened in new york Mm. like where like the power went out like for the power went out like in the bronx and people like there was a lot of looting that happened that day and people like looted (laughs) dj equipment and like you know like because like this stuff was expensive right so like suddenly like all these people like had dj equipment like it made it accessible in a sort of way it's like an urban legend of like an or the early spread of of this stuff but there was you know like before that there was like already like a subculture of like you know like of folks who like loved vinyl and like we're doing this and we're playing it around this way and it wasn't like necessarily um new technology but it was a new way to use existing technology okay and this was happening like mostly at like live like parties or it was also happening in terms of like how people were then recording new music well, it was happening at parties and people were like um th- there were so many different ways that it was interacting right like there was like djs and that there were like dancer battles right there was like djs and then like the mcs that there were like mc battles so like a lot of this happened live and there was like a sort of a battle culture of like who was best and or who could be what and like there were crews and people like came to like battle each other and um and you know it just it's hard to think about like the early the early um beginnings of something that just i think has completely shaped because like also u.s culture is hegemonic right and like what happens in the u.s and what becomes popular in the u.s like becomes popular throughout the world um but like it's really shaped everything right Mm -hmm. and so i mean like i said there were a lot of like there were um 
you know, Latino DJs, like DJ Charlie Chase is probably a really big one. Um, later on, like a lot of um, Latino MCs, right? Um, and I think that at some point it became really associated with Black American culture also because these like political groups like Public Enemy like really injected it with like, you know, like injected black pride into um their mc work and Mm. you know it was always like some latinos that were around and like latinos were also like a part of like different aspects that weren't necessarily the mcs right like there were like really pivotal like radio shows that um that were like how the culture spread or um you know like the dancers or the djs and um and yeah so it's I really, really highly recommend you take a listen to this series um, that Latino USA did on the Latino history of hip hop. If you're interested in this, it's like impossible to talk about like such a like a rich and um, and influential subculture as hip hop in like this context. But it is very, very much a child of New York. And then it sort of like spread from the Bronx to other parts of New York City to California like we brought Mm. like Mellow Man Ace for example to the show he's (laughs) from California but like also (laughs) was like watching out with what was happening in New York and like as a Cuban kid like Mm -hmm. you know like in a really predominantly Mexican area he like saw himself in these Caribbean folks Mm -hmm. in New York City and like um and sort of like shaped his career around that so um this, like I said, like lean back is when from a time it sort of like left the underground and became like a much wider cultural phenomenon that was really dominating pop airwaves. And it's funny because this is when I came to the United States and I didn't mm. realize that this is not what had always been on, you know, oh, in yeah. the United States. I thought that this is just like what pop music was in the United States. It was like hip-hop but like I didn't know that like for the first time ever it was a genre that was like dominating that was dominating um pop airwaves in the United States even though it had been around for you know a good 20 years but this song back then was everything 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 I loved it much love to Rami Ma this video is you know very like very like excellent very of the time the outfits are great um so I I personally love this, but definitely listen to that Latino USA series if you're interested in like the role of Latinos in hip hop. Yeah, and we'll put that in the show notes as well. So is your sense that hip hop really started in the Bronx and then spread to Brooklyn or was Brooklyn also like part of the origin It started story? in the Bronx. It like okay. very specifically did start in the Bronx. Yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah. And we're thinking about other cities. Like we want to do a... a we don't have a we're gonna have an episode about Miami and sort of the role of Miami in in bringing the diaspora together but yeah I think LA is another place right we don't have a lot of expertise around it but like LA is another city that um yeah where there's this like diasporic mixing and like the ways in which even the Mexican community in LA like created you know new types of Mexican music in the diaspora you know and how that that plays out for sure I love this city format yeah this is fun I'm I'm glad that after six years we can still come up with new stuff (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> word <laughs> trying to innovate out here y'all um if you hear my dog barking in the background i'm sorry y'all but she's we're having an issue with her thinking she's a guard dog even though she's 17 pounds so on it. <laughs> nobody's scared of her <laughs> nobody's scared of her because she looks like a walking stuffed animal but she thinks that she's scary 
Well, thanks so much for listening, y'all. Make sure to tune in next week for part two of this New York, Nueva York episode. As always, all of the information that we talked about on the show is going to be on the show notes. And we reference a lot of things and sources that we talked about. So make sure to go and, and pull all that other stuff there if you're interested in following our threads. And make sure you're following us on Instagram and Twitter. And we also have a newsletter. So check out the show notes to to follow us in those places as well. All right, babies. Thank you for listening. And parte dos para la próxima. And shout out to Maite Sosa for editing. See you next week. Bye.